Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man whose first starring role on TV almost didn't happen until they filled his studio audience with people from a drug rehab center. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yay, me! <laughs> show number 12, I believe. Yeah, that story is crazy. It was the show Nightstand with Dick Dietrich, which my guest was on, which we'll allude to a little bit later on. So he was very nice to do a little cameo on that show. So when we first started, you know, when, you, when you're doing a TV show with a studio audience, audiences want to come see famous shows. Like, they want to come see Cheers back in the day or the Mary Tyler Moore show. What a friend, Seinfeld. They want to come see big stars. And so they don't want to see a show that they've never heard of. So you have to go gather studio audiences. And there were, you hire people to go out and find them. And they'll walk along Hollywood Boulevard, you know, like homeless people. And they'll just give tickets to hoping they'll show up for a taping. Well, the place we used to go to was a drug rehab center. And they would put them on the bus and take them to a taping of Nightstand with Dick Dietrich. The problem is these people had just gotten off crack like 15 minutes earlier. So all they're thinking about is crack. They're not thinking about my show Nightstand with Dick Dietrich. So we, but, we, but ironically, they really dug it. They laughed a lot and they, they had a good time, except that we had to stop taping every 20 minutes because these people needed to go in the alley to smoke a cigarette. So we would, I'd be in the middle of a great joke and they'd say, stop tape. What? What happened? Well, we're going to take a little break. And these people would run out to the alley. They'd all smoke cigarettes and then run back in and we would start taping again. Anyway, that was, uh, that was a crazy story. Um, anyway, my guess. It was going really well until we got to the second verse, of, same as the first, and they couldn't remember the first verse. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's so funny. So uh, this is, uh, uh, this is okay, we're going to do the drum roll in my intro. Okay, my guest can be heard every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern on the 60s station on Sirius Channel 73, which I love and I listen to all the time. We're going to talk about that. His band, Herman's Hermit, sold over 60 million recordings, 14 singles, and seven albums all went gold. Twice named Cashbox, Enter Cashbox Entertainer of the Year. Classic hits. You're going to hear some of those in the next intro we're going to do of him. I've got 17 intros lined up for this guest. <laughs> now, let's, now let's do the Nightstand with Dick Dietrich intro that has a list of all the some of the songs. There's so many songs. So let's do that. <laughs> Wasn't it great? Peter Noon, give him a hand, everybody. I'm giving myself a hand as well right now. It's going really well. <laughs> this is going really well. So, Peter, thank you so much. Uh, hey, Tim, how are you doing? Good, I'm doing great. I usually see you walking around the golf course, you literally on the outside of the golf course, and you're always on the phone talking to somebody. I made a pledge that I would um, do a lot of walking and yeah. do all my business while I was outside of my house. No, I can tell you're doing business. In fact, I'm jumping to a question I already had already, which was, do you still produce all your events? Are you still the producer of them? You know, not really. I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've, I got very, very busy. I thought, yeah. I thought my agent told me, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be too old soon to do this many dates. So <laughs> he says, I'm going to put the price up yeah. and then you'll do, you make the same money, but you'll get less, less dates. And I got more dates. And I obviously was under, you know, supply and demand. There's a lot of 65 year old plus people in America who want to go out again because they got stuck at home for a couple of years. And, uh, I suddenly got really busy, so I don't produce them myself. I kind of manage them myself. You know, I have a, a very easy-to-run organization. i got five fantastic people who work with me right. called The Band. Yeah. And they all do two <laughs> things, Tim. They all do two things. Like the, the, 
the drummer only does one thing because it's really hard to play the drums and do anything else. But, you know, the keyboard player is also, he sets up the equipment. He organizes uh-huh. all the pre-production stuff. One of the guitar players does the lights and one of the guitar players does all my sound on stage, which is really monitors. You know, because I have to explain to people, my career was over before they invented on-stage monitors. And you needed your ears right. to sing in tune. So on, on, all that stuff, we were living in a, like in the 1970s, we're up to kind of Duran Duran, you know, we all got a Filofax and, uh, and <laughs> no still, calendar in our phone. I still have so, a Filofax. So, you know, it's, it's just been, uh, I, I run the same thing over, well, you've seen it. You yeah, know, the it's, show is it's a wonderful, I, I, let's talk about your show, because first of all, I'm holding up there are six pages of dates you have coming up. You have 36 shows, and that's just starting now. There'll probably be more between now and June. That's crazy. That's wonderful. It's wonderfully yeah. crazy. That's great. Well, we, we've got, a, so, totally for the year, we've got 108 so far. Oh, my and, gosh. And that, work, that works out. We're taking, we're taking May off, a bit of May off, right. and a bit of February off, and they're, and they're jamming everything else in. And, and it's, you know, people ask me why I do it. How do I do it? They say, how do you do it? And I go, well, ask me why I do it. It's, first of all, it's my hobby. When I was a little boy, I had a fantastic record collection, you know, for mostly American records, by the way. And who were some, and, of, the, who were some of the records? Like who, when you, you were know, a kid? Dion, Dion and yeah, Little sure. Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis and, you know, those sort of more rockabilly kind of sounding people. Right. And, and, and. You know, I even had a Conway Twitty record because we thought he was like Elvis. Yeah. And, um, you know, so so what happened? I had this record collection and one day I'm in a club. I didn't go to see the band. I go to see if there are any girls. And I'm standing on one side of the room and the, and the bass player from this band comes up to me. And he says, you're, that, you're Peter Noon, aren't you? And I thought he was going to beat me up. <laughs> I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, do you know any of these songs? And he ran out. I said, yeah. He said, help us out. Lead singer Malcolm Lightfoot has not shown up, and we don't have a singer tonight. So I get up on the stage, and I knew all the songs that it was quite amazing. Really, I actually knew the song. I had a lot of made-up words, but I finished the show, and at the end of this, said, "Would you join the band?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah, okay." And they said, "We'll have to give you a new name, though. You can't call Peter Noon." So I said, "Well, okay. What's it? This is your Pete Novak." And we became Pete Novak and the Heartbeats. And now my hobby of owning records, I would go and sing them in my style on stage. And we'd, we got to the cavern and, you know, our set list had to be different from everybody else's because it was like a competition, really. You know, you couldn't do Roll Over Beethoven because the Beatles did it really well. And you couldn't do this song because Jerry and the Pacemakers did it well. So I'd get up there and we'd sing Mother-in-Law by only kept, you know, murdering yeah. law. Which my wife thought the lyrics were watering lawns. Watering lawns yeah. don't have, that's a whole that's other a discussion. better idea. <laughs> but, you know, the people thought, nobody thought how abstract it was for this 14-year-old guy to be singing a song about his mother-in-law. Yeah. And then we would go into My Boy Lollipop. And I think we were ahead of our time because, you know, I could sing it in my full voice. I, I didn't have to do falsetto. I could sing My Boy Lollipop as me. Right. And, uh, Nobody ever questioned that it was kind of odd for a boy of 14 to be singing My Boy Lollipop. Now I question it, but <laughs> at the time it seemed like, like, okay. And that band became Herman and the Hermits and right. then became Herman's Hermits. And we were really popular in our, the North, we call it Northwest, the Northwest of England. And what had happened in the Northwest of England, it was like the Beatles and the Big Three and the Undertakers and Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders and Freddie and the Dreamers and, they'd all, and the Hollies. And they all got signed. And they, then we were the next band that was supposed to get signed. It just happened like that. We, we, um, we, we, we got this Mickey Mouse to come to see us in a club that we played at a lot. And he liked the band. He, he liked me and he tried to fire the band and I refused to let him fire the band. I said, no, we're, you know, it's like the Royal Marines. We're all in this together. And bit by bit, we weeded out the guys who wouldn't commit to rehearsing 10 hours a day. And we became Herman's Hermits. And we went to London 
And we recorded two songs, Your Hand in Mine, which was a song, Your Hand in Mine, Your Hand in Mine, a really bad song, but fun. <laughs> and Mickey had this idea for I'm Into Something Good, which was a Carol King, Jerry Goffin song. And we recorded it in, you know, people say, how long did you spend in the studio? I said, well, how long is the song? <laughs> and, Were you paying we for your own recording time? It was what we did one takes in those days. It was the way Mickey wanted to do it. He recorded moments in music. Right. And, and it's totally brilliant, really, you know, it, absolutely brilliant. And the only thing he ever said in the studio was, I don't believe you. You know, <laughs> which you, you know, so you, if, you, if I was singing like Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter, you go, I don't believe you. Yeah. So we start again, uh, and, you know, and, and that went on and we would go in the studio and it was always, we always had fun in the studio until we didn't. But it was always fun, you know, like Henry VIII, we go in there, we, go, we need a follow-up to Mrs. Brown, he got a lovely daughter. And, and Mickey said, well, you, anyone know that song, Henry VIII? I go, oh, yeah, my granddad used to say, I said, used to tell this story, like my, my grandfather, when he'd have a, one drink, a rum and peppermint, he'd get on the piano. He didn't play the piano, he'd get up on the piano and he'd sing, I'm Henry VIII, I am, any old iron, any old iron. So we get in the studio and, and Derek Leckenby, the guitar player, he slams like a, a, a Chuck Berry lick on the beginning of it. Yeah. And, and Barry Whitman comes up with that, mm -hmm, and we start to record it. And what we used to do in those days, we used to say, um, chakalaka, laka, um, chakalaka, in the breaks, because big bands did that. And our, all our dads were in big bands. And we, I said, second verse, same as the first, not knowing that I was actually singing the chorus. And <laughs> nothing rhymes with chorus anyway. So second verse, same as the first was good. So, and then, and then it finished. And we go, da 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 yeah. And Mickey Mo says, next. Wow. So, so uh, you, you've next. talked to me before about like that time. And, you sort of got the impression like it was a way to make money. Like these guys, oh, yeah. like the Beatles and Jerry and the Pacemakers, these guys were making money that you in your town could never dream of making. Like it was, it, know, was, it, was, it, yeah. was, it was like a way to get out of there. Well, you know, the whole thing was that, you know, everybody in the culture that we came from, when you were 15, you had to either commit to higher education, go to college, go for your A-levels and go for your, you know, you needed five O-levels and then you could get five A-levels and then you could go to university. You had to earn it by, by knowledge to go right. to university. So you needed French and math and, but you know, you needed five A-levels to get in a university. And, you, you know, I was like 14 and I was in this band and I was also a window cleaner because you could do it. All you needed was a chamois leather and a ladder. And you could go and knock on people. So you want to win a clean, we'll get the corner, you get the corners. And, um, <laughs> and I was a window cleaner and I sold programs at Old Trafford football ground, Manchester United, that as people went in, they all bought a program. Yeah. So I had like nine jobs. And then one day we were in the van going to work and we did it. I remember exactly. We played at Ermston football club, which is near Manchester. And we played it and we got paid four pounds. And, you know, we, we paid the, the, gas, the gasoline for the car. It was called petrol. And we had enough to stop at a chip shop on the way back. Yeah. And we couldn't, couldn't get fish and chips, but we got chips. Yeah. And, and I, as, as I was eating the chips, I thought, I'm a professional musician now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Playing for French fries. We could probably do this. And, and, then, and then, Tim, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> I was in my grandma's house rehearsing with this guy and, and, and we heard a band tuning up somewhere in the distance. You know, there were lots of, every street had five bands in it in those days. Yeah. Groups that were beat groups. Yeah, that's and we could hear a band tune, And we crossed two fields, two fields, like a styling over a hedge and through two fields. And on a little stage, six inch and six, maybe a one foot high, were the Beatles tuning up. You know, one, two, one, two. And they started to play. And the guy standing with me, who was the guy we were rehearsing for, he said the magic words, we're fucked. <laughs> okay, we're going to we're gonna bleep quit. that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, he, but I have to say the magic words. Yeah. You know, he thought that 
the Beatles were so far ahead of where we were. Right. That he, he didn't have any aspirations, as they were called. He quit. That was enough. That, oh, no, I've never been able to play as good as Paul McCartney. I'm a bass player. I mean, he, and look, look, the bastard, he sings too. Yeah. Because he'd come for the bells on a hill, you know, all yeah. that. And they're good looking too. So I, I got to plug some of your stuff. Folks, I promise you, if you get a chance to see Peter's show, I went last year in Agora. It's so fun. I got to say something. Either you're an incredible actor or, which I think is the case, you really still have a great time performing. Like you, I think the DNA kicks in on you and something else takes over because it just comes off like you're still having so much fun. Am I right? Well, yeah, that's not acting. I mean, I really do look forward to each one, and they're all totally different and unique. You know, I do not have a set list. I refuse to get locked into that, and then, and then, and then, and then. Right. So I kind of look around and see how I feel, and then I sometimes do a ballad that I don't, and I, and I like to tell stories. Yeah, they're fantastic. And, and, yeah, you know, just to make, make it fun and and. And I truly am. When I when I sing, I'm into something good. You know, woke up this morning feeling fine. I always open the show with that song. That's the only set list. Right. And and I actually trans. I actually become that kid in the studio. I think I was 16 at the time. I I try to relive the studio thing. And you know, it's great if you've got a spotlight because you can you can get into it. You know, theatrically, you can get into that moment and and visualize yourself yeah. in another place. And you know, it's nice. Fifty years ago, it's maybe sixty years ago, nearly that recording. But I still I'm able to do that. I'll, and the other ones are just great fun. They're I, just great fun to sing. I've, I've never, I Tim, I never ever recorded a song I didn't like. No, I believe Ever. that. It, it, but uh, I'm telling you, folks, it's such a professional, fun evening. The other thing I got to say about your show is, I think one of the reasons why people, you look really good. Like, you're you're in shape. You look great. Your hair is really good. I think people go to the show, people like me think like, oh, yeah, I must look good, too. No, I don't look good. I don't know. But, but because Peter does, I must. So, But it's a really great show. Go to peternoon.com. All the dates are on there. It's all you're all over the place. You're in Vegas, you're in Illinois, you're down in Cal- San Juan Capistrano, Texas, connected in New York. Just go there and and check out the dates. He's also on Instagram and Twitter at Peter Noon at, at Peter Noon. Um, so we're gonna take a break right now. We're gonna come back. I do want to talk about the we're gonna come back with a clip which is the 15-year-old kid, because you've told me this story, and I want people to hear it. So we'll, we'll pick that up on the next side. It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freevee, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny, it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Now from from Manchester, England, Peter Herman Moore, Derek Rockenby, Paul Gill, Keith Hopwood, and Barry Shipman, who are Herman Hermit. Mrs. Barry got a lovely daughter. Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. Girls as sharp as her are something rare. Peter Noon! <laughs> Peter Newton is my guest. It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. First of all, I got so much to say about that. I also want to say, when you go see Peter live, that song, and I, I think I've told you this. I told your daughter this recently. I saw her at a, at a party. That song is so beautiful. 
It's a beautifully written song, and you do it acoustically in concert that makes it even more beautiful. It's a wonderful song. You think, you know, back 60s poppy music and all that. No, no, no. That's a really great song. It, and it speaks to a kid, an innocence of a kid, and it's wonderful. You know, Tim, when, when we created it, I would dress up uh, as a young, I mean, I was only four, 15 anyway, but I would be 14 and I would go up to the girl's house and her, knock on the door and her mother would answer the door. Right. And that makes it all work for me. I can still do that, you know, otherwise it kind of a little bit strange. If I couldn't do that Stanislavski thing, yeah. then I would not be able to sing that song because it's, it's like Chester. Is wrong, you know. Mrs. Brownie got a lovely daughter. How old is the mother already? <laughs> She's a hundred. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I, I've always managed to be able to make that very special song as if I'm singing it to this girl's mother and giving compliments. And she, I mean, he's been given the elbow. She yeah. doesn't want to see him anymore. It ain't no good to pine. What a great line! Oh, it's what great. A great line. Nobody even knows what pine is. So that clip was from. An appearance. I don't know if it was your first appearance on the Ed Sullivan show. I do remember the next day as a kid. I remember everybody watched it. The thing about the Ed Sullivan show was the world watched the Ed Sullivan show. There was one thing. There were other channels on, but nobody watched anything but the Ed Sullivan show. So, yeah, everybody. That's what people talked about the next day was Herman's Hermits. Like, oh, my God, those guys were great. But I, I really urge people to go on YouTube and find that clip of Herman's Hermits being introduced by Ed Sullivan and then seeing your face because it's a combination uh, to me. This is just my reading. It's a combination of, I can't believe this is happening. Like there are these girls that are screaming. I'm just imagining from your point of view, girls that are screaming, we're from Liverpool. We're on the Ed Sullivan show. This is unbelievable. And then you perform a great version. You do the song live and it's great. You know, that was a good thing about Ed Sullivan, that that we didn't really know much about it. And we kind of negotiated to be on the show. We, eh, we're not really sure who is it really? and all that. They said, yeah. And they said, well, the, I said, who's on it this week, for example? <laughs> and they said, well, the Four Seasons. And I go, oh, my God, that the, big, the Four Seasons are on it? Yeah. So, you know, and then and when we did Henry VIII, it's, uh, Henry VIII we did next next time we were on. <laughs> And, and we did Henry VIII, and we went back to the hotel. We used to stay at the City Squire on, on Lexington Avenue in New York. Yeah. And we stood on the top of that outdoor garage. It was like a garage on a roof. And me and Mick and Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and Tom Jones and his manager were standing on that roof to look at the thousands of boys and girls singing Henry VIII on Lexington Avenue, That's blocking true. the traffic. And, and you're 15. I'm probably about. I'm probably much older, but I'm 17 by now. It's, it's unbelievable. No, 16. Yeah. So, and it was just great. And we, and you see, the, what is special about the moment for me is that we all knew each other, and we all shared the same kind of musical camaraderie. Right. People didn't need to like your music to like you. You know, it was not. We were all guys from little tiny. I mean. Tom's from Pontypris, you know, it's like they got a tree this year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and we, we lived in these little, but when you would meet people, we would share the glamour of it all. And, and Tom Jones's manager says the magic words to Tom Jones. That's the power of television. Yeah. You know, yeah. with his Welsh accent there, you know, look, see what TV did. That stupid song, I'm Henry VIII, I am. And there's like a thousand girls in the street singing it, looking up here. And Mick, so, and Keith got, Mick and Keith have got satisfaction ready to go. You know, I think that's right. their new record. It's unbelievable. So, but you told me, in fact, when you were on uh, Nightstand, you told me a story that I never forgot. It's the Ed Sullivan's because I just love the Ed Sullivan show. Everybody did. But yeah. Ed Sullivan took you to church. You told yeah, me you know, that, he, that he, he suddenly he, he insisted on, on you going to St. Patrick's Cathedral with him, right? Well, it was, the, it was an odd thing because, you know, he he said to me, you're, you're a Roman Catholic, aren't you? And I go, yeah. 
He said, meet me tomorrow morning at nine o'clock at Delmonico's. I think he lived at Delmonico's. It was like on Park Avenue there. Yeah, over in the 50s. Yes, yes. And we walked. And, you know, he was the biggest star in the world to me. because Not just to you, to everybody. I mean, he was in Scotland. Yeah, but think about it in New York. And he walked along the street in New York and nobody stopped him because he was going to church. You know, they only stopped Sophie Loren in those days, remember? Right. The only person who couldn't go anywhere, couldn't go to a restaurant was Sophie Loren or maybe Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton if they were both together. But he was able to walk and people had maximum respect for that guy. Right. And I'm like all dressed up like I got my stage suit on. You know, we had two sets of clothes. We had the ones that we wore on the road and the ones that we wore on stage. So I put my stage clothes on and walked along the singing. <laughs> and, you know, I had to pretend when they all went down for the genuflection, I was like always a beat behind, you know, watching quickly out of the corner of my eye. Oh, they're all going down for that yeah. one. That, boy. that was that was me in church, too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that, that's that was funny. it, you know. And, you and your church. You know, it's like my mother would mime all the words to the hymns until it came to Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> um so you started talking about like some guys you know the stones and the beatles and all that and again i just can't emphasize enough peter noon herman's hermit said like in the thick of the british invasion which was so unique and so crazy especially for an american kid it was all very exotic these albums would show up and meet the beatles and the zombies and jerry and the pacemakers from is there somebody like from that whole British invasion world? Like who was your, I know you knew all these guys really, really well. Was there one in particular who was like your best friend? Not really best friends, but there were people that I got to be with more often. Like I, I became close with Eric Burdom because we so unlikely team, Peter Noon and Eric Burdom, we kind of opposites. You would think, you know what I mean? We both read a lot of books, so we had a lot to talk about. And we both drank a lot of booze, which was something that we could talk about. <laughs> and, and, you know, recently, so he was my, uh, we both were signed to Mickey Most, the producer. And he didn't like Mickey Most at all. And I did like Mickey Most. Mickey Most and I, sounds like Mickey Mouse, doesn't it? But Mickey Most and I had a connection. When, when I first met him after uh, when I was 15 or 16, and he was on a Rolling Stones Bo Diddley tour. The Rolling Stones were unknown. It was Bo Di- Everly Brothers, Bo Diddley, Rolling Stones, Mickey Most on this tour. And I was impressed because he, 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 shot, he, he was shining his, in his role on the, on, the, on the tour. And I went to his house and he, I mentioned that when he was on the tour, when he did his guitar solo, I was impressed because he didn't have any strings on his guitar, but he still went down on one knee and pretended to do the guitar <laughs> solo. And I thought that was pretty cool. That's pretty good. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, I, and he said, I said, so can, we didn't, we think everybody thought you could play the guitar really well. And he said, oh, I really can. And he gets out a guitar and him and his wife, Christina, sang Devoted to You, which was, I'll never hurt you. I'll never lie. I'll never be untrue. Just like Phil and Don. And she took the Phil part and he took, and I was like gobsmacked because it was the most beautiful, romantic kind of moment for me. And I said, ah, so, and I would say in the studio, I'd say, you know, Mickey, you know that sound of walk right back? And he'd go, oh, yeah, this. And he'd turn the green knob, which was reverb. So we had a musical connection right from the very beginning. And he knew that people had to believe me. Otherwise, I'd just be like a boy. You know, Herman's Hermits were a boy band because we were boys, but we did, we were not. We were more like the Sex Pistols than like a boy band, if you know what I mean, because we were completely agree. I I listen to your music and I could see people saying, oh, it's super poppy. And it's not. It's really good stuff that that I completely get that comparison. Yeah. Well, you know, we thought we felt like that because we were real punks, you know, and yeah. we really were. You know, it was we we had to dress up because we wanted to. But. In in reality, you know, we wouldn't record things unless we felt it was like right for this Herman's Hermits. You know, that the, there were real characters, you know, that we they were created people. Herman is Peter Noon is Herman, but it is also a creation. And, and, and when we made records, they were for that audience specifically. Right. You know, we didn't want to do we didn't want to step into Rolling Stones territory. We wanted to create our own uniqueness. And Tim, think about it. Every band that made it in the 60s 
was totally different from the who aren't like the Stones and the Stones aren't like the Beatles and the Beatles aren't like Herman's Hermits and Herman's Hermits aren't like the Dave Clark Five who aren't like the who. And everybody who made it in the kinks all had a unique thing. And we chose, we, we were lucky we chose it. I mean, Andrew Oldham was, was managing the Stones and producing them. And we, we hired him to, to kind of take care of us, to create, basically to help us keep, create our image and keep it safe. And, and he, was, he was telling the Stones, you know, you've got to be the, the bad boys of rock. Go home and read Algius Huxley. You know, and I, we'd already read that. So, but and, and, and for the Stones, and, and we'll create this image of bad boys of rock and roll, which they've managed to be able to legitimately keep hold of that, even though they're really nice guys. And, 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 the, and then Herman Summits were going to be, we're going to create this really nice boys. I said, well, we don't have to really work as hard at that because I think we already are these same characters that we're going to play. Derek Leckenby, our guitar player, his dad's a police constable on a bike. That's funny. He doesn't have to be. <laughs> any different and I, you know if, if Herman is the boy next door I am that boy <laughs> okay I got a here's a couple questions I wrote down because I, I was curious about here's who was the funniest Beatle like I get they're all unbelievably talented was there one who was like because I also know all you guys had a lot of fun was there one Beatles like oh my god that guy's I, I'm assuming it's Ringo but I don't know no, you know, I think it, but you see, it, it, people changed, you know, people changed. But when I was a kid, yeah, I managed to somehow run into John Lennon more than the others. I yeah. did see the others. I, in, I walked into dressing rooms and said hello and all that stuff. Yeah. But John Lennon was not connected to anything. You see, all the other boys are marrying models and, and posh girls and everything. But John was, had a wife in Liverpool that, nobody knew about so he was kind of on the tiles yes. he was out every night so i would i was i was out every night and i think he preferred the kind of girls that i could get than the ones that he could he didn't want those intellectual college girls that, right. he, that the beatles had set him up for so i would see and he was always very funny and i couldn't think of comeback lines quickly enough you know he, he would sit I'd, I'd like get in the lift at the same time as them to a nightclub called the ad lib and he would say, and we'd got, I wasn't with him, but we arrived at the same time out of the lift and yeah. people just guessed I was with him. Otherwise they wouldn't have let me, I wasn't old enough to go in there. That's funny. Uh, and, That's and he said, um, the, the woman came over and said, there's a two drink minimum looking at me out like he's not getting a drink. Um, <laughs> and John says, I'll have two Bacardi's and he'll have two Cokes. And he take the, gave me one of the Bacardi's and I gave him one of the Cokes and nothing needed to be safe. And the next time I saw him, he said, that's a nice suit, Hermit. Do they make it in your size? <laughs> See, I like that kind of stuff. Oh, I love that that's, stuff. I love my thing. I love hearing stories like that. We're going to have more and, stories. We're going to take another break. We got to sell some ads here, as they uh, still do at some places. I love that. In fact, I'll plug my show, Sprung, uh, on Amazon Freebie, where they have commercials. But you can watch the show for free. Uh, right now again uh peter noon go to peternoon.com to see his tour dates and again i promise you it's a fantastic really fun time uh at peter noon uh for twitter and and instagram and we're going to come back and talk more about your movie career i want to talk a little bit about that uh it's radio with tv's tim stack we'll be right back
Wait for Herman's Hermits. They're in orbit, the first Astro Swingers. I'm leaning on my lamppost at the corner of the street in case a certain little lady comes by. She's a must to avoid a complete impossibility. Girls, girls, millions of girls. But there's nothing like having just one for your own. Okay, we're back. What was the... No, I saw a clip on YouTube from a movie. It was sort of like Herman's Hermit's version of A Hard Day's Night. Was it called Hold oh, On? Hold On. Hold On, hold yeah. On. I love that. I love that. If you get a chance, go on YouTube and look at that. It's one of those swinging 60s movies that obviously they put girls in bikinis and they're dancing behind you. Shelly Fabre, I guess, is your love interest in it? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really, really fun. But then there was this other film I saw called, and you look like you were 12, called Coronation Street. Oh yeah, that's it. Coronation Street was a television series that I was in when I was, when I was about 12. Yeah. Yeah. You're a little kid. It was the kid. number one show in England. Really? Number and- show, just like everybody watched it too, live television. So I was, it was good training for live, you know, because I, I would forget my, I wouldn't be listening. <laughs> And they would pass the line that I was supposed to say. And my dad in the show, uh, Peter Adamson, would say, weren't you going to be off to school soon? Oh, yeah. I'm on Live television, you know, living in your own, sweating into my shoes. Yeah. No, it looks like that. There's just one little clip on YouTube, but it's really fun and really different. So I want to go back to a couple of names just to see your reaction to it. Because I know you worked, again, I gravitate towards funny people. And for some reason, I have a I have a feeling this guy was funny in life, and that's David Bowie. Was he like? Yeah. A, I just got the feeling like I got a feeling he's really funny. Like when he's not David Bowie, he's really funny. And I I just love to hear your thoughts on him because I know you worked with well, him. He he's one of those people who was really a committed, different. He was always different every time you met him. He always had a different attitude. He had different personalities, which which is very attractive. I met the one. Who was a he? He was a songwriter, and he was in, in a massive lawsuit, and he was broke, and uh, he wanted to get his songs back, and and we we did "Oh You Pretty Things," and he played the piano on it, and he was very he he he, he said in the session, you know, that we tried to get another piano player to play his parts, and he's this kind of guy. He said, "Well, I I can only play it in F sharp." David played. Yeah. could only play the song in F sharp. He only could play the black notes. So, so we started it, and we got another guy trying to learn it. And and eventually, Mickey said, "No, no, 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 you play." It. And he he said, I'm not, "I can't play it all the way through." David's like being David Bowie said, "I can't play it all the way through." But then he did. Then he did. You know, and 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 then for a few weeks, I would go and see all his live gigs. I was like a fan of him, and every time he did a concert. He was different. It was like I went to see a different person. Really? He, that never happened to me with any other entertainer that you'd go and see one day and he'd be. And, and strangely enough, so his number one idol, the person he idolized the most was Tony Newley, Anthony Newley. Really? And I knew, and I knew Tony Newley. So, so I said, so I said to David Bowie's playing somewhere in LA, I can't remember what, and he's got a new tour called 1984, I think it was 1984. So we, we, I go and I, and I get house seats and David comes on. I'm sitting with Anthony Newley, my wife Mireille, yeah. and Tony Newley's wife at the time. And, uh, and David Bowie comes on and he looks a bit odd. It's this new tour called 1984. And there's like a saxophone. It was one of those saxophones that you find under the, the kitchen sink, you know, a little and <laughs> stop. Yeah. And some guy starts to play the intro to 1984 and, and, and Tony gets up and leaves. Really? I hate it. I hate it. David's not even on the stage yet. I had to sit there the whole time and go back afterwards. And cause he, 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 he couldn't take the noise. He didn't like the sound of it, Tony. You know, he's a really strange guy. But I couldn't tell David Bowie that he left before he came on. 
<laughs> no, I don't, oh, think, I don't think you want to tell him that. He loved it, David. He loved it. Here's another name <laughs> I wanted to throw at you. I didn't know if you had any run-in, not run-ins, but contact with her, is Dusty Springfield. Was she a friend at all? Yeah, you know, what happened, our very first tour in, in Britain, she asked us to be on the tour, and she we had a van, a nasty, smelly old van with, you know, 150,000 miles on it yeah. and all our equipment in it. And she said, you can use my, you, you can come on the tour bus. Just don't use the room at the very back of the bus ever. And she was so, you know, she was the real thing. You see, Dusty knew about musicians and how we behaved. The only rules were we couldn't use the, you couldn't use the, toilet on the bus and we couldn't smoke around her right and then we pulled into the parking lot at the liverpool empire and there were 600 girls shouting we love you know that herman herman stuff right yeah and she said she, she turned around she was standing in front of us she turned around and says look like looks like herman's closing tonight <laughs> isn't that great because yeah. you know she was clearly a, she was a real diva you know i mean she really every show i mean one of my one of my favorite things tim is that you know if you look at pictures of like the who on stage you can see peter noon standing in the wings on the back because i never ever did a show with anybody that i didn't stand and watch the show or go to the back and stand there the sound guy i've seen everybody's live show right. i played with you know, like once I'm I'm standing with, one time I'm I'm standing with John Lennon and and there's video of it which is great because you can't have stories with without a living witness so this is somebody videotaped it so I'm standing there and we're watching some band on stage I can't think who it was I and and uh, and people used to say oh he must own the the PA or something somebody's <laughs> not very good and there's all that sort of banter among bands oh no he's not. He's got on the van and, uh, you know, you must have pictures of the bass player with a goat, you know, stuff like that. All those kind of lines are going. And, and, this, and this band start playing and John Lennon says to me, hey, Hermit, isn't this one of your songs? And it's the Hermits on stage at Wembley, <laughs> Wembley. And they're on stage and I'm not. Where is he? Where is he? And you see me come running out of that tunnel where, the, where all the football players come out yeah. and running up the stage and into She's a Must to Avoid. Oh, my gosh. But it was all like that. And, but, you know, all, all the setup was that we were just these boys and, and fans of music and loved each other. You know, it kind of each other's music. Well, speaking of you that, you, you in your act, again, folks, go see him. It's really, really fun. But you sort of pay homage to songs that, you sh should have recorded or could have recorded and you didn't. So like, tell us about some of those songs. I think there was one by Jerry and the Pacemakers, like you could have done it, but then he did it. And maybe there was a song. Uh, yeah, we, like, we, we, there's lots of them. You know, we, we, the, we did Bus Stop first. We recorded it first and we, we, did, we weren't very confident with our version of it. And we gave it to the Hollies. You know, they were friends. Yeah. And, and we once it was number one by the Hollies everywhere in the world, we never spoke to them again. But I mean, you know, we were friends <laughs> when we gave them the song. Have a look at this, see what you think. Yeah. And we had For Your Love, which was the Yardbirds hit. Yeah. Same thing, you know. We just couldn't, we did We did versions of them, but the, we knew when we finished recording, when, we, when Mickey said next, we knew that's an album track. You know what I mean? Failed singles in those days were album tracks. Only the Beatles went in to make an album. We made singles and failed singles became album tracks. Did you so ever we, have I, a did you ever have a B side song that became a bigger hit? Does that did that ever happen? Yeah, you know, uh, No Milk Today and There's a Kind of Hush was an A side. No Milk Today was a B side in America. Really? And that's the most you know, No Milk Today now is the number one download. You know, all those streaming services. No Milk Today keeps winning. Really? I wonder yeah. that's that's interesting. I wonder why. So um and so were there, any, were there any songs that got given to you that somebody made the same mistake? Like, ah, they recorded it, you guys took it and made it a hit. Were there anything come to mind there? Yeah, you know, lots of them. I think we, 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 we usually got first look at it. You know, I mean, Lulu got the boat that I row, and Neil Diamond told me that he wrote that for Herman Sermits. And uh, it really? probably would have been, it probably would have been, the boat that I row, don't cry, no ocean. I think we'd have, we would have done a, a very good version of that. But Mickey had just signed Lulu and was trying to impress us. So he had this song and Neil Diamond had written it. And, and 
that frequently happened. And, and, you know, I still remember I went to this meeting. Some, they were setting up this new group called Monkeys. And I went to a meeting and it was with Bert Shoveloff or something like that in, in the hills of Hollywood. You know, and I never felt comfortable up there, you know, with all those folky people. You know, and it wasn't my scene. You know, it's too much pot and too much like wannabe long-haired musicians. So folk singers, we called them in England. And, <laughs> and, and I went and, and at this meeting, sitting there was Bobby Darren. And, you know, I was such a big fan that I couldn't speak. Yeah. Was he- I, I was being cautious of, of what I don't know what he was doing that meeting. And they played me Daydream Believer. No, not Daydream Believer, Last Train to Clarksville, before they had the people singing on it. Right. And it was the two boys who'd written the song, Boyce and Hart, I think their name, who'd written the song, and they were looking for somebody to sing it. And they said, we're going to have this English guy who's like Herman, and we're going to have this guy called like John Lennon, and and we're going to call it The Monkeys. I said, everything's great, except that is the bad name. They'll <laughs> never get in there. So it'll be like hermits. People will think you're not a real band, and we said, well, it's not a real band. <laughs> <laughs> but you became good friends with those guys. In fact, they- yeah, I loved them. They were all good guys. I, I, I loved them. Oh, there was some birthday I, party sorry, that just, we got invited to that, that I didn't. I was working. My wife, Jana, went, and she got to meet the monkeys. It was just like, oh, my God, she you made her day. Uh, we're going to take our final it, break before the end. we got to do some more ads here. We're in the current. Street thing together. Um, oh, really? Him. That's that's so funny. And then he went on. He sort of stayed as an actor and Oliver and all that stuff that yeah, came right after that. Quick. Right. That's great. Um, okay, we're going to take our break. I'm talking to Peter Noon. Go to PeterNoon.com. See all the tour dates at Peter Noon on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget Sprung on Amazon Freebie. Uh, this is all courtesy of producer Jeremiah Higgins. Uh, as part of the Jeremiah Show. I'm so happy to be here. It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. We'll be right back. No milk today. My love has gone away. The bottle stands forlorn. A symbol of the dawn. No milk today. It seems a common sight. But people passing by don't know the reason why. How could they know? Just what this message means The end of my hopes The end of all my dreams How could they know The palace that had been Behind the door Where my love reigned as queen Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. I just want to thank Peter Noon. We were, we've run out of time, as they say in show business. There's just not enough time, but maybe he'll come back because there are a lot more stories I want to talk about. And I want to talk about his daughter. I'll just do that real quickly. Natalie, his daughter, who's a wonderful singer, and now she has her own show on Sirius Radio. But she also, you know, all the if you listen to the 60s channel on Sirius that I do, um, all those voiceovers are Natalie's. She's really really talented in that world i gotta tell her next time i see her and she's got a great yeah, husband and and you're a grandfather now and anyway uh a wonderful family and a crazy life you've led i don't know who has more airline miles than peter noon uh that's a safe bet i think um, i think that's probably a safe bet yeah people say i saw peter noon on a plane yeah, i was going to geneva then i was going to canada and he's always on that plane you know so <laughs> Anyway, Peter, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, Really, really fun. 
Go see him. I promise. It's so much fun. People just have a great time. Go to PeterNoon.com to find out where he is because he might be near you. Uh, thank you again, Jeremiah, Dr. D, the engineer. Uh, it's always a pleasure to do this. It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Thank you, Peter. We'll see you soon. Hey, thank you, Tim. Let's do it again. I enjoyed myself. Okay, I love great. talking about me. <laughs> okay. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Take care, Tim. Thank you very much. Thank you. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.